Hello, welcome to Jim and Ben's Movie Adventures. Uh, I am Ben, uh, that is Jim, uh, and this is the podcast uh, we watch movies and inflict movies upon each other. Uh, this week's movie is a Jim joint. Uh, he chose it. I mean, what I said wasn't wrong, but it felt wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, I picked it, if that's what you're trying yeah, to say. <laughs> it's a Jim adventure. Yeah, uh, a Jim so, venture. I mean, so at say. the end, so you, what was the, uh, first of all, what was the movie you chose? This Look, I chose Dragon Slayer from 1981. Um, and it's weird because I thought for sure, Ben, you would not have seen this film. And I also thought, I didn't even know if you'd have heard of it. And, and then I found out on the end of last podcast, you actually wanted to watch it, hadn't watched it yet. Um, you know, well, and... Spoilers, we didn't actually mention that at the end of the last podcast. I'm assuming <laughs> everything that you had indicated, I was like, I don't think he's watched it. Like, you know, so, so I hadn't I hadn't watched it. And so the reason I wanted to watch it is in preparation for when we started to do this podcast, I did a little research on movies. Uh and I have a list of movies that I want to watch. Uh and a lot of them are movies I've seen uh, and that you've seen, and I just think it'd be fun to watch again. But I deliberately went out and looked for movies that I hadn't seen or I thought you hadn't seen. Uh, and one of the movies that popped up when I typed in best fantasy films of all time was Dragon Slayer. And then I did a quick cursory like bit of research on it and people are like, yeah, like, yeah, it took its inspiration from a lot of fantasy stories before it, but it did a lot of big things on film that kind of hadn't really been done before. Uh, and especially with like, it's like, dragon design and stuff like that uh so that's why i had it on my list and it probably would have been one of the next one or two that i chose that's crazy uh, so, so you, you pipped me to it it just shows that we've been friends since we're 12 <laughs> in sync uh so 11 11 i don't know i can't count so maths we were 11 you know it's, it's our movie adventures not our maths adventures um but look <laughs> but like look I really love Dragon Slayer. Now, I came to Dragon Slayer as an adult. So, obviously, 1981, um, you know, it, it was before I was born, you know, as a film. Um, and it was something that really wasn't even on my radar. But I got into, you know, as sort of a, a, a film, you know, buff, fan, whatever you want to sort of say, um, as an adult, I a had connoisseur. a connoisseur of, of films, good and bad. Um, but I, I basically had gaps that I wanted to fill in my, you know, uh, film library of th things I'd seen, things I hadn't seen. And I went on like a run at one point, this was years ago, of like 80s fantasy that I had just never watched and always sort of just heard about. So I watched uh, I watched Dragon Slayer. I watched Excalibur. Um, I watched Legend with, uh, you know, Tom Cruise. Uh, I watched Willow. I watched... Um, Which, historically, you do not like. You know, yes, that's right. So, um, and look, you know, I have to say, like, you know, and so that, and I watched Conan the Barbarian, like, you know, all of these sorts of uh, films that were sort of like this, like, 80s sort of fantasy. And... I remember thinking after I sort of did that deep dive and went went and looked at all these, I actually think Dragon Slayer is the best of the bunch, you know? Like um well, look, yeah. 80s so fantasy is a minefield. Yeah. <laughs> um there is very safe few safe spots. Um and look, I actually 
have some problems with Dragon Age, and they're not. They're based on how I view films now. Yeah, it's because it is very much a product of its time, but I very much enjoyed watching the movie, uh, and I liked kind of studying it as like a almost a weird bit of history. Um, but yeah, like there's some horrible because like Star Wars kicked off some stuff, um, and what it kicked off predominantly wasn't good, um, and this was kind of bucked the trend a little bit, although it. it you know, it has some criticisms for stealing yeah. some stuff and all that. I mean, jazz, but, like, really, Dragon Slayer, like, so a little bit of background on the production. So, um, you know, because obviously the person who picks the film is, like, tasked with the job, like, researching <laughs> it or whatever. So, like, you know, so I do know a bit about the making of Dragon Slayer and I can provide, I can provide some much-needed context uh, for us um, to actually sort of, you know, get us through. So, you know, Star Wars comes along in, in 1977 and, of course, you know, all studios want to replicate that success. You know, Disney has a few different bites at this, okay? Um, they uh, tried to, you know, get, get a bit of Star Wars money with uh, Tron. Um, they tried with a film called The Black Hole, you know, and then even though, you know, Dragon Slayer isn't a, uh, you know, science fiction or space movie, um, it's still trying to capture that same spirit of adventure that Star Wars was doing. And, you know, they, they were using, um, you know, the same visual effects studios that, that Star Wars was using. And there's a lot of crossover on those production teams. And so Dragon Slayer was clearly basically their attempt at doing Star Wars, but as fantasy. Uh, this time and you can kind of see that in the DNA of the film and and, and that, that you know sounds like a criticism but it's sort of not because when I first watched this uh, you know which was a few years ago now um, I actually liked it less than I like it now I've probably seen the film three times now uh, over a period of a few years most recent being the rewatch I just did for this podcast and each time I watch it I like it more and more you know um, the first time I thought uh, oh look this is hugely derivative of Star Wars and you know Joseph Campbell's monomyth and the hero's journey and we've seen all of this stuff before and then I kind of paid a bit more attention the next time and I thought look they've remixed some stuff here which is quite interesting you know in the way that they've done it and then you know um, more recently I'm like there's a lot of darkness here as well which was a little bit edgy and, and bold for the time and look that's probably a key reason why it didn't actually do very well at the cinema um, because this film was really, you know, Disney was known for obviously children's fare and this film is definitely trying to hit more of the teenage young adult demographic, you know, um, at the time. So, but being a Disney property, uh, audiences didn't really know what to do with it and the, the film didn't really know how to market itself. Uh, it either. had some really dark choices in this movie absolutely so like for for them trying to hit that audience there's some weird missteps really yeah i don't i mean i think like i think the audience was probably on board like in that that sort of late teens to you know uh young adult kind of audience but i don't think the movie was marketed at that audience you know i think it was marketed at kids and then that sort of was yeah like a bit whoa <laughs> so the old gremlins dilemma yeah so i think that you know we sort of got in trouble there and i should mention paramount as well this was back when studios teamed up you know that wait that... So, sony and disney team up all the time so, on 
Booter, man. Yeah, because they have no choice. Um, so like, <laughs> if either of those studios had any choice in the matter, I'm positive that would not be taking place. Um, but yeah, look, this, this is a co-production between Paramount and Disney, which were a lot more common back in that good old days. Was that mainly because like Disney's specialties and Paramount specialties were a bit different and so they co-combined to make a movie? like that? Fit? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot more common in general for studios to actually sort of team up and co-finance things particularly things that they thought were a little bit of a risk, you know, uh, a little bit, you know, perhaps left of center and maybe they're hoping for a hit, but they wanted to hedge the bets a little bit. So um, it also sometimes depended on rights, you know, and who owned what. But, uh, but look, Dragon Slayer comes along. It does not do well, but it does. It's the little engine that could, you know, it develops that good old cult following. Um, oh, VHS. And, you know, and, and look, it's got a, a real legion of fans now. So, um, you know, and, and I think the, the still that I've picked for our little, you know, um, our little icon here sort of tells it all. Like, that's really what this, this movie is. It's a, a dude with a shield and a spear fighting a dragon over lava. And there's, you know, a girl who's tied up, ready to be sacrificed to the dragon. So it's like, it's really in firmly in that sort of, you know, um, I, I don't want to say sword and sorcery because that's got so many negative connotations, but it, it's very firmly in that sort of classic fantasy vein. Well, you know? I mean, you, you mentioned it earlier. It's a hero's journey to a T. Mm. right like so for anyone who doesn't know what the, the hero's journey is it's a classic storytelling device really of the, the things a protagonist goes through to complete their journey quite often seen in fantasy films uh never-ending story uh and star wars are classic examples of a hero's journey uh they usually involve a young protagonist who's called to action uh they have an old mentor they have certain challenges they face all that sort of stuff right uh so this is very much retelling of a hero's journey and i think any good retelling of a hero's journey or use of a hero's journey is interesting because the format is tried and true. Um, like it's easy to connect with the protagonist um, and things like that. It's only kind of in modern day storytelling and modern cinema where we're finally getting more movies and stories outside of that kind of genre that are just as interesting because, you know, we're evolving and diversifying and things like that. Uh, but like, so this movie, as I said, it took me a while to get into its rhythm. Uh, and it's just the rhythm of my brain used to watching modern films, catching up with the pace of a, a, a 1981 film, a fantasy film. And it is a bit slow. Um, it lingers on a few things in the modern cinema that it wouldn't linger on. Uh, certain characters, certain moments. Um, and you're just like, and then you, your brain just has to kind of catch up. Like the temptation for me to look at a phone in the first 20 minutes of this film was high. <laughs> and, and, until I locked in on it. Um, and I did lock in on it. And, you know, so our hero from the hero's journey, uh, what was his name? Sorry. They're, all their names in this. Galen. His name's Galen. They go in one out here and the other. Yeah. Like the, the, the country that this is set in is very much like the wizard's name. And I keep getting confused. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the girl's name's Valerian, you know, it's, it's but it's all... not Valerian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or is she a girl? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the main character in this is played by Peter McNichol. Uh, who some might know as the secondary bad guy from Ghostbusters 2. Um, he's in a whole bunch of stuff. This was his first piece of acting. 
Yeah, so it's. I believe he'd done. I could be wrong. I believe he'd done theater yeah. uh, before this, but like, but this is his sort it's, of entry it's like into first cinema. credit. Yeah, like, so it's like, and and it's funny, like you know, he actually has been fairly negative about this film, you know, uh, in years past, which. Fair enough, whatever. I, you know, it was one of his first acting roles. It wasn't a huge box office success. Um, and, 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 you know, not, not to speak ill of, of an actor, like particularly a young actor, um, but I think that, um, you know, the performance there is a, a little bit inconsistent, um, you know, uh, as we sort of go through this film. It sort of walks this very strange pendulum where we're a little bit, we're cocky and overconfident and then we're nervous and, you know, uh, boyish. And, and it, it sort of, it sort of swings back and forth. And, and actually the characterization of Galen is probably one of the things that I like the least about the film. He is the least interesting person in the movie. <laughs> yeah. He's also sort of, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a bit arrogant um, and really, you know, but that's not a huge issue for the movie because Galen is essentially a plot device. Um, so, <laughs> He's almost the MacGuffin. Yeah, he's sort of, like, he's, he's really just there to keep that movie rolling along, you know. Um, but uh, but I think, uh, you know, Valerian's a really interesting character, um, as is, like, probably, like, one of the most interesting things about this film is the princess character who, uh, you know, who uh, Elsbeth, I believe her name is. So, Elsbeth is the um, name. Yeah, and now she's she's just a fascinating character, and I really would have loved to see more with her and her father, the king, because those two are just just fascinating to me as like character studies. You know, well, what would normally be the traditional kind of like Princess Leia sidekick character actually wasn't, and had some depth and growth. But also very little screen time to go along with yeah, that. Yeah, like, so. like, so what what she went through. And, like, spoilers, like, everyone who's sacrificed to this dragon dies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, nobody gets rescued in this movie. No, and I think that's what's really unusual about it. I mean, the, the moment that Ben and I are talking about is, is about three quarters of the way through the film. And basically, you know, um, hopefully you've, you've seen it if you're watching this um, because you, you tuned in last time and, you know, watched along with us. Um, but like, you know, so, so Princess Elsbeth basically rigs the lottery so that she uh, will definitely be sacrificed to the dragon. And then she finds out she's never been in the lottery. That's right. You know, and then, so it's this act of heroism where she sort of takes the bullet, but then she is, she takes the bullet. Like she's allowed to just take the bullet and like, you know, it's, it's incredibly heroic and sacrificial and all those things. But usually, you know, hero characters in films are bailed out of actually having to do the sacrifice, you know. Especially that, especially that era of film. Yeah, that's like right. that era of film, the heroes are rewarded with a certain amount of plot armor that provides them their heroic redemption or their moment. But her moment of heroism was the sacrifice, being yeah. put into the lottery. And then it's like, and literally like she, she, she even like, you know, anties up and walks into the cave with the torch and you're like, wow, what's going to happen in the cave? And the next thing it's like, there's like a dragon baby gnawing on the bone of her leg. And I'm like, that, ah! like, you know, it bites off her foot. Yeah. 
just like and it doesn't hide it so it yeah bites off her foot. it's just like full on so and it's not to say that like you know i i don't like gore or anything like that but just as a character moment you know it, it's it's sad it's poignant it's like oh my gosh i can't believe they did that you know like there's so much there um, and then also, I think the king is a super interesting character. I love the ending of the film where he just walks up and like points his sword at the dragon, and they're like, "Hail, dragon slayer!" And I'm like, "Yes." Yeah. So- like we'll probably we'll probably get to it, but the end message of this film, I think there are like three attempts at it, and they're all different. Is is a bit weird, and yeah. I didn't 100% see it coming because uh, it kind of like it. It's like someone wanted to say something, but they only really nudged it in right at the end of that movie. Uh, so, I mean, just to get out of the way, there is a really strange subplot with a local religious community or church, right? Yeah. So where and and like they kind of brought in and they're like they're brought in to do the classic foible of oh, it's not real. It's it's just a, a, a the devil, and if we pray, it'll go away, and then you know that guy gets eaten, and you kind of think that's the end of it. You're like, oh, they learnt their mistake. It's a it's a bit of a weird way to do that plot point, but they learnt their mistake. But then at the end of the movie, it recircles. Another character is now in charge of the church, and they say God did it all, and you're like. Why is this in the movie? Yeah, it's it's a very strange sort of pseudo political message that yeah. you know just sort of like he- heads into the film. And I and actually look, think it cheapens the king's moment. Yeah, well, it's it's. I mean, the king's the the like that's obviously also sort of you know. I think it's yeah. it's quite funny, like you know. Um, oh and yeah. O- and obviously, it's sort of supposed to be, but. It's uh, and, and that's an interesting choice too. Again, a choice that really doesn't have anything to do with the film. It's just almost it's, a statement. it's almost like a cheap statement, really. You know, but well, I mean, if if you looked at current politicians, I mean, politicians have always been the same. It's very like, oh, I'm coming in to claim I did this thing because that's what we do. Yeah, it's just it's just sort of strange when, as you sort of say, the rest of the movie is not really about that. You know, like. The... <laughs> and then the final message, Tim, is that the magic is inside of him yeah. all along. Yeah, and you know, uh, yeah, we're all magic, Ben. So uh, there's magic inside <laughs> of all of us. Um, so I really dug the end of this film, and I didn't realize why until I did a little reading, and I realized it's really kind of just a different spit on the sorcerer's apprentice ending yeah like 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 so right at the start of this film the big sorcerer that everyone's coming to get to kill the dragon um well, he's a necromancer really um yeah it's sort of like at, at, at they don't points, want to say necromancer they don't they do say it at like two yeah. points in the film but they they're really not not wanting to say that. <laughs> so like he and they're like well are you really powerful he's like yeah stab me and they stab him and he dies. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, huh, that's a weird way to initiate the call to action for this young man. Um, and then at the end of the movie, his manservant, who really cruelly gets murdered, um, had been carrying this his ashes, was it? Yeah. Was it his ashes? Yeah. So, Along... so Hodge is carrying the ashes, you know, and, and in the woods when Hodge dies, you know, he gives the ashes to Galen. Uh, who then has to scatter them over the the lake of fire, um, which you know is is gives us our Gandalf the White moment exactly. So, but like it's interesting. You said something before, which was 
that, you know, it reminds you of the Sorcerer's Apprentice. There were two inspirations for this film, um, and one of them was the Sorcerer's Apprentice sequence in Fantasia. The second one is the more obvious one, which is the George and the Dragon story, um, you know. Uh, So that's, and and obviously that George and the Dragon story, uh, you know, has been going for a, you know, Hundreds, hundreds. <laughs> um, so everyone's everyone's pretty pretty up on what that is so but like i think both of those are pretty cool inspirations really um and it also kind of explains why disney is making this film because uh they own the rights to the soldier's apprentice yes i have a question and i might have missed it in the film why doesn't the king want the dragon dead so the king does want the dragon dead. He just doesn't believe Galen can do it. So the king's the king's solution was the lottery, and the lottery mm. is totally a solution that the king is happy to go with because it doesn't cost him anything. Um, you know, whereas as soon as sort of Galen's like, no, let's 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 poke it. Let's let's you know, the king's like, why you got to do that? All we got to do is wait the dragon out. It's old. It's gonna die. And all we have to do is sacrifice one person every year. It's fine. Like you know what I mean? So, um, so that's sort of like the the king's philosophy, which is so it's it's just him being like like don't rock the boat. Like exactly, he's just being shrewd. But really. why why kill the manservant in the forest? Well, but that wasn't the king. That was um, the Tyrion character. So, he, so his motivate. So the, his motivations are separate. Like he's like protecting the kingdom from the darkness or whatever. Yeah, t- Tyrion's basically like your your catch all, just not a cool Jack? guy. You know, like yeah. <laughs> um, so. Okay. He's kind of doing the king's bidding, but then he like goes rogue on his own and like you know, does does his own thing. But like you know, so so look, we got you, you mentioned the uh, religious subplot before, uh, which leads us to what is it's not a cameo because it's, you it's can't, not he's a named character. You can, well, but also like you can't cameo. It's not a cameo if it happens before you're known. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, really yeah. more like a bit part for a reverse cameo. It's a reverse cameo. Uh, for the one, the only Emperor Palpatine, um, you know, from... Uh, Ian McDiarmid. That's right. So this is, uh, you know, a, a pre-Return of the Jedi role for the uh, the Star Wars Emperor. Um, and he delightfully chews the scenery. Yeah, he does. And he's only um, got like a scene and a half or something. Like yeah. <laughs> Nails it. Yeah. It's just, you can like just see like at that point, they're like, we need a good British day player. Um, to just, yeah. you know, uh, come in and just smash it. You know, someone with theatre training, <laughs> like this guy. <laughs> well, I mean, that a lot of fantasy films of this era, there's a lot of theatre and Broadway people in them. So I think a lot of these films were seen as obviously below Hollywood actors mm-hmm. and things like that. So, I mean, you look at the cast of this and a lot of these people are, are theatre actors or, or Broadway actors. So yeah, having someone here like him, who everyone probably knew on that set, it's like, oh, we'll just get Ian in to do this part. Yeah. That'd be awesome. And he uh, he killed it. Like, yeah. not the dragon though. That would have been more helpful. No, but. and <laughs> so one of the few facts I know about this movie is the dragon was twenty five percent of the movie's budget. Yeah, which like I think the dragon looks great. Like it really, does. I mean, it's a nineteen eighty one dragon and. 
you know, I think really until you hit Dragonheart in 96, we probably didn't have a better dragon on screen, you know? Oh, not at all. I like, I remember looking at, like, they very much Jaws the dragon for most of the movie. Yeah. Like, you see, like, a tail or a claw, or you don't even see it at all. You just hear it roar. And I really enjoyed that. And when the dragon finally came out, I'm like, oh, it's a cool dragon. And I was looking at it. I'm like, something's really bugging me about this dragon. It's a good-looking dragon. Like, it's awesome for them. But what's really bugging me? Do you know what was bugging me about this dragon? And it's no. the most niche thing ever. It didn't blink. <sighs> See, in a modern movie, that thing would blink. I would do all that, and you, just, you don't even notice it's blinking, but it does blink. This one doesn't blink. I really also liked the design of the baby dragons. Yeah. They were kind um, of disturbing. They weren't, like, yeah. like it was, like, mm, that's Well, it. I mean, the dragon itself very much was disturbing like yeah and i mean like people people talk about you know vermithrax pejorative as like best dragon name of all time it's a fantastic dragon name like you know and but but see and the thing is like with dragon slayer even before i'd seen it the first time i knew vermithrax like you know vermithrax pejorative is like a famous film dragon like you know people often refer to it it's used as reference it's like you know for many years people were saying this is the greatest cinematic dragon of all time like you know um and i, I think there's there's a lot of merit to that i think it's a great looking dragon and it's also like when you you know you say they jaws it which they absolutely do but when you actually see the final you know model puppet you know the full scale one that they built it looks good, like, you know... Yeah, the, the Jaws thing, unlike Jaws, was a deliberate choice. Like, Jaws was a necessity that turned yes. out to be awesome. Uh, but it was a deliberate choice, because the dragon did look cool. Um, and it performed awesome, and, like, when it breathed fire, it looked scary. Like, it looked like it was about to wipe out whatever it was going to blow fire at. Like, Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very cool dragon, and I think they they used it really well. Like the flight stuff at the end looks pretty darn good. Like, you know, um, and it was like, you know, cutting edge visual effects at the time, but like way before computers. So uh, it was, uh, you know, or, or rather they, there was some computerization, but on a robotics level rather than a, um, you know. Yeah, just... it wasn't like a, it wasn't a digital effect. No, that's like... right. Yeah, it wasn't CGI. You know, it was, uh, it was this stop motion hybrid technology called go motion um pioneered by uh, phil tippett um on empire strikes back which he'd just come off of so um so you know there's sort of a lot of shared dna between that and star wars but look ben so we've talked dragon I've, slayer i just want to quickly say i've been picking things from films that i think make good movies and should be in every movie and i've got something from this movie hit me do you know okay it has to do with the combat in this film. All swords should spark when they hit other swords. <laughs> and not just spark, but like flash. Yeah. Like, like yeah, it, uh, I love that. And I loved the, like, the animation of him hitting the dragon with the spear, like the magic spear yeah. uh, and stuff like that. Like, it was like something so like wrong. It shouldn't be in the movie, right? But it's so 80s. It's that also like it made me so happy. That whole like let's forge a spear that's imbued with magic and is like hotter than anything and is gonna like you know that's just baller. It's just awesome. Like, and know. I want to I want to point out too like this movie did something I love with fantasy magic and it's what Lord of the Rings does. The magic itself until the end uh, 
It's not super flashy. Mm. It serves a practical purpose. Like it's not like a fireball or a thing like that. It's like, oh, I can heat the metal and make it easier for you to work, which will imbue it with you know extra properties and things like that. I um I really dug that. And obviously at the end, like the head wizards, like the necromancers, just throwing lightning bolts. But again, he doesn't just throw lightning bolts. He spent time. He summoned all the clouds around him, and he called the lightning bolts down. It was like a, a, a practical version of magic in a strange way. Like they didn't just pull it out of thin air. Yeah, it was. Sense? Yeah, I, I get it. Like you know, and and I, I think yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good craft to this movie. You know, just just all round. So if you haven't seen it, see it. Unless you don't want to, in which case you shouldn't. You know, you shouldn't Look, do things I, you don't want to do. I actually think I actually think people younger than us may struggle to watch it. And, it, and it's just from the fast movie brain that we now have. Um, but if you can get past that, it's an enjoyable film. It's a film that shares and del- uh, puts its DNA forward into the future that you'll notice from other films and, and borrows from other films. And I, I think it's definitely worth a watch. Like, I watched it twice. So well, There you go. Well, look, I hope you enjoyed Dragon Slayer, Ben. But I would, I like, I would like to receive my next assignment. What are we, uh, what are we doing next week? I literally have two movies up in front of me and I, I can't choose. Okay. So right hand what I'm going to do, <laughs> well, no, what I'm going to do is simple. I would like you to choose number one or number two. Okay. Go ahead. Two. We are watching The Sandlot. Ah, The Sandlot. I know you've definitely seen this movie. Yeah. Uh, it is one of my kind of, childhood happy places okay uh that it's one of those movies that i had on vhs that i played non-stop on weekends and stuff uh for a little while it's definitely a movie i've watched as an adult and enjoyed again and for different reasons uh because i think it's a layered movie um do you want to know what the other movie could have been or do you want to hold on to it well will we watch it at some point oh most definitely either oh, you well, will pick hold, it or i will pick hold it. off hold off hold off <laughs> okay yeah so uh next week's movie will be the sandlot uh, and I hope you guys enjoy it because I think I'm going to. Love it. Bye. Thank you.